0: So we are in a series called Overcoming, and so I feel like I wanted to kind of uh, maybe give a, a little framework for, for the series, and so I want to describe what it means to be an overcomer. And so I've got a scripture, I, I just want to read, it's 1 John 5, 4 through 5, and it says this, it says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So let's leave the scripture up there for a second. It says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Well, what does that mean, the world, to overcome the world? That word world paints the picture of the evil world system that we live in that's motivated by Satan and his demons. So it says there, everyone who has been born of God, those who are believers, overcome the world. Satan and his evil system and his temptations and his lies and his destruction, we overcome. And it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith in Jesus Christ, because we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have overcome this world. We have overcome these troubles, this sin, this temptation. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord? And so all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have overcome now, that, that, word, that word, overcome, paints the picture of total victory. It's not partiality. It's, it's not halfway victory. It is complete, total victory over Satan, over the enemy, over difficulties, over trials. There's nothing that can happen in the life of a believer that we cannot declare that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people who like to say that they're overcomers. And they're winners. And they're going to overcome. But the only way to truly overcome is through Jesus Christ. If you are not in Jesus Christ, your overcoming is temporary. If you don't have Jesus as as the Lord of your life, your overcoming doesn't last. But as believers in Christ, we have overcome. We have total victory. But it is centered on the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us at the cross. And so... This morning, we want to continue that theme of, of, of overcoming. As believers, we have overcome, and, and we want to talk about the subject of fear, anxiety, worry. And, you know, when you look at our culture today, it is uh, not too difficult to find yourself filled with anxiety and worry, doubt, and fear. I mean, Pastor Andy talked about it, the storm, Irma. You know, I, even though I saw all the, all the spaghetti models were going north, Uh, east at one point now they're going northwest um, I still don't trust the weather people (laughs) I still don't believe you know they're the only the only profession that can get it right 50% of the time and not get fired and so we have we have seen this over and over again they make their predictions and they give this cone of a cone of um, error and I'm like okay well you shouldn't have a cone of error this is all you do you should know right and so it could go all the way over here. It could go all the way over here. Well, all the way over here, my west side is not good. We don't want it to go over here. And so, uh, but so there is plenty of reasons to be worried, to be fretful. You know, you look at at Mother Nature and the storms. You you look at at ISIS and and North Korea, and you look at you look at just the the issues all around our world. And there's if, if you watch the nightly news on a nightly basis, you you can walk away feeling kind of discouraged about life and feel like, where's the hope? Where's the peace? Where's the joy? Where's, where, where, gonna play, where am I going to place my feet? And so even as believers, we can be tempted to worry and to fear. You know, think about, think about your personal finances. You know, we've, we've been in a downturn in our economy for the last year and a half, two years. And it's, it's been challenging for many of you personally. You're sitting here right now and you have been, challenged because of this you have lost hours you have lost your job you have had to get a different job that pays less and so maybe some of you have been have been really just overwhelmed and feel like god god i'm trying not to worry i'm trying to trust i'm trying to believe that you're faithful i'm trying to believe that you know where i am and you see what i'm going through but it's been difficult it's been hard because that 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 trouble that you're going through is hitting you personally maybe some of you You're struggling with worry and fear because you've gotten a diagnosis that you did not expect. You've gotten a diagnosis that that, that blindsided you and you're struggling with fear. You feel like, I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen to my husband or my wife or my kids or my grandkids? And you are struggling with fear about the future, fear of death. And so I want to bring hope this morning. I want, us to, I want to remind us as believers where our hope is found. And if you're a non-believer here this morning, and you, you, you snuck in the door here, and you're sitting here, I want to tell you that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul. And this is the basis of how we can overcome worry and anxiety. And so, I was thinking about, you know, how, what, what do I say? How do I express to your church, to the church... About how we can overcome fear. And I believe that the reason we struggle with fear and worry. We all do. I'm not saying that you will never struggle. But the reason we do struggle is because of memory loss. Because of memory loss. Some of you, I mean, I have a really bad memory. I still can tell you this. I struggle. If she doesn't get to me right away. After I get home from work. And ask me questions about what happened. It's gone. And I'm only 36, and so this is not, this is not boding well for me as I, as as I get older in life. But memory loss is a reason why we worry and fear. And I'm talking specifically memory loss over God's faithfulness. We tend to forget. When we're in the middle of a circumstance that is difficult, that's causing us to worry, it is almost like that is all we see. That, that, that just, it, it just overwhelms our thinking, it overwhelms our mind, and we are just like shielded. We're in a bunker. And we can't see God's faithfulness. We can't think back to how God saved us. We can't think back to how he was faithful to us and through us throughout our life. And so I believe it's rooted in memory loss. And so that's kind of the angle I'm, I'm going to go at. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to pull out some truths in Matthew 6. that some, some reminders from Matthew 6. And Matthew 6 is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' famous sermon, his big sermon. And the point of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is comparing the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. And he's, and he's contrasting. How is it that those who have an allegiance to the kingdom of God, how is it that they live? How is it that they should live? And so we're going to look at Matthew 6 and we're going to uh, cover verses 25 through 34. So what I want to do is, I want us to read this section, all the verses, and then we're going to pull out four reminders about how to overcome fear from what Jesus is telling us. So it says, therefore, I tell you, Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they There's a lot of scripture there, a, a, a lot of text to cover, but I see four reminders for us from Jesus as to why we should not worry. As believers, why we have victory over worry. The first reminder is this, is that we must remember that God is in control. Say that. God is in control. He is. People struggle to think that. Irma's in the Gulf. God can't be in control. It's going to wreak destruction on homes and businesses. It's going to do its damage. And so when people hear that phrase, God is in control, they think, man, that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean God is in control? What I mean is, is that God is in control. And then, listen, we are pre- I'm preaching this message through the lens of the life of the believer. Through the lens of the life of a non-believer, this doesn't make sense. What do you mean God is in control? There's chaos everywhere. There's wars. There's famines. There's disease. There's hurricanes. There's tornadoes. It can't be that God is in in control. And, And for them, that makes sense. But for us as believers, we know better. We know that for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, all things work together for the good of those that love him. And God is in control, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of all the things that are causing you worry and doubt and fear and anxiety. You know, I think one of the biggest fears that we all struggle with, and as believers we shouldn't, but we still do, is the fear of death. There's some of us who really struggle with the fear of death. We wonder what will happen. And we worry about dying. We worry about the afterlife. And there's some of you here this morning that aren't Christians and and you really fear death because you don't know what's going to happen. You have no sense of peace in your heart about what's going to happen. I just want to read some scriptures to you that will touch on this issue of the fear of death. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. What does that mean there? It means you have an appointment with death. Welcome to church. (laughs) Glad you're here. <laughs> it's coming. From the time you were born, you were born to die. And that's depressing. And my wife's about to have a baby and we're excited and we're ready. But that first breath out of her womb, is or his womb, excuse me, we're having a, ba- a baby boy. I, I'm, I don't think that was a, um, a providential slip there. I believe it is a boy. We have seen pictures. <laughs> and uh, um, so that first breath out of his Lungs, which is just a little side note. This is a total sidetrack, and this is going to take some time, so if you're patient with me at the end of the message, we'll be good. But how amazing is it that a baby, that we all lived in liquid before we were born, and then we get out of the liquid in our mother's womb, and we are alive, and we breathe, we have lungs that cannot survive in liquid. Dunk us in liquid again long enough, and we die. And people want to say there's no God. People, people want to say that, that birth is not a miracle, that, that life is not a miracle. It's not precious. Life is a miracle from God. It's so beautiful and such a picture of who God is and his awesomeness. I forgot where I was going. That's why you shouldn't do sidetracks. <laughs> but, but, but right when that breath comes out, right when that breath comes out, it is the beginning of Of death, and that is discouraging and depressing. But it is the truth. But here's the truth through the lens of a Christian: that I have an appointed time with death, and I don't have to worry about that. If it's tomorrow, if it's the next week, if it's the next year, if I live until I'm 70 or I'm 80. My life is in God's hands. Ecclesiastes says that there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. Psalms 139 says that that even when I was in my mother's womb, it says that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit me together in there. And it says that all the days of my life, God wrote in his book before they took shape. Now, there's a caveat here. If you get drunk and you get behind the wheel... And you get in a wreck. That's your fault. And you can cut your life short by stupid decisions. But if you walk in obedience as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you live in accordance with his promises. And his ways. You do not have to worry about death. You're not leaving a second before. A millisecond before God says I'm done with this person. And why are we here? Why has God placed us here? He's placed us here because he wants us to glorify his name. And to honor his name. And so you're not leaving until God's done getting glory through your life. Isn't that good? You're not leaving a second before God is done getting glory through your life. You know what's going to happen in the believer's life? God's going to get glory through your death. That's what's so powerful about being a Christian. God gets glory. When I die, I want you guys to come and testify about how much I honored God, sweetheart. Man, you write something beautiful. Talk about talk about how I lived for God and I honored God and I served Him. And you know what? People think you shouldn't be talking like that. You know what? I, I have no fear of death. God, if God's called me to, to 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 lead this church into the future, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna lead it. If it's not and it's God has something else, well, hey, I'm I'm gonna go to heaven and be with Jesus. Paul said in Philippians, "For for 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 me to live, it's, uh, for 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 me to live is Christ to die." Is gain. We receive an eternal weight of glory. When we go to heaven. Paul says in Corinthians. Says, he says. Oh death where is your sting? There's no more sting in death for the believer. But I want to say this for the, for the non-believer. There is fear in death. There is fear in death. There's no hope in the afterlife apart from Jesus Christ. You know there's a second. Area that we tend to forget that God is in control in. And this is the issue of the fear of Satan. So this is still under my first point here. We Some people struggle with the fear of death. And some people struggle with the fear of Satan. And I just want you to know that Satan has no power in the life of the believer. No authority. And this is why Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this. It says, he, speaking of God, has delivered us as believers from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. So what is that telling us? We are under new ownership. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're under new ownership. We were once under Under the, the, the domain and control of darkness. But now, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been transferred over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And because we are in Christ, Satan has no power in our lives. He is a defeated foe. Scripture tells us that Jesus took Satan. And I picture Jesus taking Satan by the back of his neck. And he's displaying him for all in a parade displaying that he is a defeated foe, that because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's bringing him around. He's saying, you see, he's defeated. I put my foot on his neck and he has no more power. He has no more power. You guys should be shouting me down right now. That That is the best news for us as believers. Devil has no more power over us. Now, I have another caveat. As believers... He wants to discourage us. He wants to attack us. And he does attack us. And he attacks us in our minds, in our thoughts. And he tries to get us sidetracked and distracted and worried and overwhelmed. But it's ultimately for the purpose of getting us sidetracked off the reason why we're called. Which is to bring him glory. To bring God glory. And so Satan does attack. And scripture tells us that we are not ignorant of his schemes. We're not foolish. We know what the devil's schemes are. It's very simple. It's not complicated. He wants to get you, as a believer, to take your focus off of God, to take your focus off of God's faithfulness, to take your focus off of your calling, to take your focus off of God's love, and to place it on many other things, to place it on to the temporary things of this world, to place, it on, to place it on the temporary things of this life, and he wants you to live a meaningless Christian life that you don't impact anybody for the gospel. That's the reason he attacks us, to discourage us. So I just want to read the scripture, 2 Corinthians ten three through 5. It says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons, we have weapons. Ephesians 6 tells us we have weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what are these strongholds? We destroy arguments. That are in our mind. Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The battleground in your life as a believer is in your thought life. we have the victory. We've been given the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you win every victory over the enemy when he comes in and he lies to you in your thinking. And he tells you that you are not loved by God. He comes and lies to you and tells you you're going to die before your time. When he lies to you and, and, and tells you that you have no purpose and meaning. You take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you dice and you slice and you destroy every lie of the enemy. We destroy arguments amen God is in control we must remember that God is in control how many of you Jesus says by being anxious about your life can add a single span single day to your span of life you can't do it remember God is in control second second point so we don't keep you here till 12:30 is this Second re- reminder is this: We must remember that God is our source. Let's continue reading in Matthew six, verse starting in verse twenty-eight. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. I want to talk to all the women. Why are you anxious about clothing? <laughs> I tell my wife some that sometimes. Why are you anxious? It's going to be okay. Just go buy some clothes. <laughs> why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the flowers, the the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow sown into, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, drink, or wear? So what's Jesus saying there? He's saying that we have a tendency to be worried about temporary provisions all of us do i get worried about it at times you get worried about it at times how am i going to pay the bills how am i going to put clothes on my kids who keep growing like weeds how are we going to do this how am i going to pay the light bill the electricity keeps going up in the summer and and that's speaking jesus is speaking here of temporary provision that we all need he's not downplaying that we need it we need it we need to eat and you need to come to church dressed you need to go to work dressed we need clothes we need provision right so he's not downplaying it, but he's saying, don't be anxious about it. And he's remi- he wants to remind us, he says, God's going to take care of us. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. I take care of them. And if I take care of them, how much more am I going to take care of you? And so I think this issue of being anxious about daily provisions and especially our finances is something that we have to think about it in two, two different ways. First of all, we have to be reminded that God owns it all. God owns everything. He owns everything. Psalms 24 verse 1 says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. God owns it all. That money that you work for, hard for, sweat for, labor for, it's God's money. Because he gave you the breath to work. It's his money. Leviticus twenty-five, twenty-three says this. The land must never be sold on a permanent basis. This is... God speaking to the nation of Israel about how they deal with land. But he, but, but, he, but he says this. For the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. God's saying, you're, only, you're working for me. It's my land. This is, it's, your life is my life. You are slaves to me. You are working for me. You are my children. You are working for my kingdom. And so... I own it all. You're a steward. So that's, this is the first principle when it comes to worry about finances. What are you, how are you managing your money? Some of you are creating worry in your life because of how you manage your money. You need to see yourself as a steward of something that doesn't belong to you. If I came up to you, Miko, and I said, I'm going to give you $100,000, which I don't have, but if I did, <laughs> and I said, I want you to manage that and do something with it and I'm going to come back and I want I want to talk to you about it later how would you how would you how would you deal with that this is my money you're going to think completely different or let's let's make it more real okay I tell you here's my budget here's my paperwork here's my checking account number here's all my account numbers and my passwords pay my bills pay my mortgage make sure it gets done You you better take care of that, right? Because you're a steward. And so that's how we have to view the issue of our finances and our money. It doesn't belong to us. And so maybe some of you, you are worried about your finances and daily provisions because you have not been wise with what God has given you. And so, look, there's so many different ways that we could take this. You know, we could say don't have credit cards, don't get in debt. But sometimes debt is needful. I I had to borrow money to buy my house because I'm not independently wealthy, like, like most of us here. And so I'm not saying that all debt is bad. But what I'm saying is, is that you are called to be a good steward over what God has given you. And so some of you need to reevaluate how you're handling your finances. And that's going to help your worry. The second thing that we need to look at is that God is our source of, pro- pro- of provision. And he has created a unique way to provide for us. It's the word generosity. Now, this is counterintuitive. You're like, what do you mean God's going to provide to me through generosity? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 9. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He, speaking of God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God has established in his word that if we will take our eyes off of temporary things... And not allow the temporary things of this world to have, our, have a grip on our heart. And we will say, God, we will be wise stewards of those finances. And we will also seek to be generous. We're going to trust that you're going to take care of us. And it's a promise in God's word. So sparingly, reap sparingly. so bountifully, reap bountifully. Generosity is God's means of provision for us. Pastor Kent Hughes says this. This is in a commentary book. That I was reading. It says, for the Christian, the issue is, just, is not just that we give, but how. God loves a cheerful giver. And giving gladly rests on the great why of Christian generosity. That Christ himself, our Savior, Lord, and greatest treasure, demonstrated the ultimate in generosity in coming to save us. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty... Might become rich. If Jesus is in us. Then increasingly such an open handed tendency. Will be in us as well. Isn't that good? That means that we have the greatest model of of generosity in Jesus Christ. Though he was rich. He became poor. He took on the form of a servant and came and lived amongst us and died the death that we deserve so that we may become rich in righteousness, rich in eternal life through faith in him. And because he demonstrated for us ultimate generosity, when he is in our heart, we can't help but be generous with our time, generous with our talents, generous with our treasure, generous with what the things that God has given us. God will provide for us. Don't worry. Don't worry. Be faithful. Be faithful. And don't worry and be generous and watch what God does. Last scripture here in this point just want to encourage you with this. Psalms thirty seven says this Psalmist David tells us, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And this is a description of us. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. That's a promise. That we are not going to be begging bread. That our children, if we will put God first and honor him in our finances and be faithful stewards and we will set it in our heart to be generous, God promises he will take care of us. So that's that's the second encouragement, second reminder. We must remember that God is our source. The third reminder is this. We must remember that God is our father. God is in control. God is our source. And thirdly, God is our Father. This is what Matthew 6, 32 says, back to the text. It says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. What things do they seek after? If you've been following me. Talk to me. Money, clothes, they seek after temporary things. The Gentiles, this is speaking of non-believers, seek after these things, temporary things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all this is what i was saying earlier god knows that you need temporary things and you know i was thinking about this idea this not this idea but this truth that god is our father i was thinking about my life with my kids and there is nothing that i would not do to demonstrate love to my kids because i'm their father There's nothing there's nothing that they could do in their life that would stop me from loving them we may have difficult times of frustration as they grow up in their life, but I love them. I love them with a love that is, that, that is willing to, 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 to run in front of a bus for them, to, to dive in a pool and, and risk my life to save them because I love them. And all of you in here that are parents, you know that love, right? You would do anything to demonstrate love to your kids. And some of your grandparents, you'd do anything to demonstrate love to your grandkids because there is a love that is so deep for those that God has given to us as children. It is woven into the fabric of who we are. It is a reflection of our heavenly father. But it is imperfect. And I don't get that. That blows my mind. I think, how can there be a more perfect love for anybody than what I have for my kids because I love them so perfectly. I would do anything for them. But Jesus tells us this, that it is imperfect. He makes a comparison. This is in Matthew 7. This is continuing on in the Sermon of the Mount. He says this, Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Listen to this. If you then, Ben Buskin, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is comparing from the lesser to the greater. We are the lesser. He is the greater. And he is saying, my love is far beyond anything you could ever imagine. My love for you, when you are overwhelmed with worry and fear and anxiety about your life, you need to rest in the truth that your father loves you beyond anything you could ever imagine. Or understand more than you love anything in your life. God loves you. It is an ever, it, it is a never ending perfect love. And God demonstrated his love and gave us a picture of his love through Jesus Christ. You know, Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So the disciples one, one day asked Jesus, says, can you show us the Father? What does the Father look like? And Jesus kind of scolds him and says, have you been with me this long that you don't know what the Father looks like? Like, come on, guys. And he he looks at him and says, when you've seen me, speaking of himself, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect reflection of our Heavenly Father. And so how did Jesus demonstrate this perfect love that we rest in when we're worried and fearful? How did he demonstrate this? Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. For while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. This is so powerful. But God demonstrates, shows, lets us see the depths of his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, enemies of the cross of Christ, he died ...for us. So when we, by faith... ...in his sacrifice on the cross... ...we place our faith in him... ...then we can receive eternal life... ...through Jesus Christ. And that love can be shed abroad in our heart... ...and and it's such an amazing thing that happens. You know how we we were contrasting my love... ...that I think is so amazing for my kids... ...but yet is imperfect... ...with the perfect love of the Father? When we, through faith in Jesus Christ... Receive that love of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, and we, and we receive His love, it is a perfect love. And what does that perfect love do? Cast out fear. That's what Scripture tells us. It tells us that in 1 John 4. It says, So we have come to know and to believe that the love, that love that God has for us, as Christians, we come to, to, to know it and believe it, that God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. By this, this is by this, Love is perfected with us through Christ, through his sacrifice. This love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. We have no more reason to be fearful of judgment before God if you're a Christian. Because God judged his son for you on your behalf. So you won't have to be judged when you place your faith in him as Lord. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling with worry, anxiety, and fear, lean on the perfect love of Jesus Christ that is shed abroad in your heart. He loves you. He cares about you. He sees the struggle that you're going through. Think about Jesus' life, the compassion that he lived with. He, he He demonstrated the ultimate compassion for humanity by how he lived on the earth and how he suffered and died for us. Jesus loves us and we can rest in that love. And there is nothing in this life. No tribulation. No trial. No storm. No sickness. No disease. No lack of finances. No struggle. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is what it says in Romans 8 as we conclude this third reminder. Let's look at Romans 8. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us? Or, sh- or should I say, what can even separate us as well? Shall tribulation... Distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation that could ever make you worried, anything in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. And so that is the third reminder that I want you guys to rest in. And it is the hub of all we're talking about this morning. It is the love of Christ. He loves us. And that perfect love of the Father is demonstrated through Jesus. Amen? Fourth reminder is this, we must remember that God has given us a mission. Let's go back to the text in Matthew 6, 33. It says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I want to point something out here. You remember the previous verse when I pointed out that the Gentiles seek after all these temporary things? And then it says in verse 33, but... Speaking of now, there's a contrast. The non-believers, that's what they seek. Now, what should you seek as Christians? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, all the temporary things, they'll be added to you. God's going to take care of you. There's a difference in the wording of, of meaning of the word seek in verse 32 than there is seek in the verse 33. Verse 32, when it says Gentiles seek after temporary things, it paints the picture of an intense craving, an intense craving, almost a picture of lusting after temporary things. It's this intense craving that drives the life of those who don't have an allegiance to the kingdom of God. Life for them revolves around right now. What can I get? What can I possess? What type of house can I have? What type of car can I drive? How much money can I put in my retirement? Just everything centers around right now and they seek after it with all of their heart with an intense craving they desire it but jesus tells us but you seek the kingdom of god and what, what does that word seek there mean for us it, it has the meaning of worshipful seeking it's a completely different meaning of, of that word and it means that this is what you need to do don't worry about The cars and the house and the money and how am I going to take care of all of these temporary things? God, sometimes I don't know how it's going to happen. God, I just don't know how we're going to pay the bills and you're just racking your brain. You know what God's telling you? Worship him. Seek him. Look up. Look up. Worship him. Exalt him above your worries. Honor him above your fears. Seek him. God with all of your heart and place the kingdom of God as a priority in your life. And so one of the tactics of the enemy in our lives through fear and worry is to get us to forget that we're called to seek first the kingdom of God, that we have an allegiance to a a, a different kingdom. We're not of this world. We are sojourners. We are aliens. And God has given you a mission and a calling. Life is not about temporary things. You guys know that by now, right? We should all know that. Life's not about the accumulation of wealth. It's not, a, it's not about being rich and wealthy. Life's not about, Christianity is not about your temporary happiness. I believe, believe a lot of Christians are confused by that because there's, there's some preachers out there that are confused about that. And they, they've made the Christian experience about your life. Christianity is not about you it's not about me. Christianity is not about me. Who is it about? It's about Jesus. It's, it's about the exaltation of Christ. And so when we are so worried and, and anxious about here, we forget, if I'm a believer, this is not my, my here. I'm not meant to be here. Ultimately, for eternity, I serve a greater kingdom. I'm going to be in heaven one day. And so we need to remember, not allow fear to keep us from our calling. If we're not careful, we can develop a bunker mentality. We can just be so worried about our life that we just kind of insulate ourselves and don't worry about me, myself, and my family. As, as, just as a Christian, you, you can do that. Just bunker yourself in and I'm, I'm going to ride out this crazy storm of life that's going on. And that's not, that's not what we're called to. We're called to rise above the fear And the anxiety and the worry. And to trust that our father is good. To trust that he loves us. To trust that he has a plan for our life. And to live in such a way. That God can get glory through our life. In the kingdom of God. My temporary earthly life. Is not about temporary earthly things. But rather my temporary earthly life. Is about the worship of God. And the expansion of his eternal kingdom. So how, how, do we, how do we impact God's kingdom? Matthew 6, this is earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that we are to not store up, not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do we store up treasures in heaven? How do we do that? We do that by seeking first the kingdom of God. We do that by waking him up every day and saying, God, I'm going to choose to not be worried about life today. I'm going to choose to not be worried about my life and my circumstance. I'm going to choose to cast all of my anxieties on you because I know you care for me. I know you love me. And I'm going to choose to put your kingdom first. I'm going to choose to look for the needs of other people. I'm going to choose to be generous with my time and the talents you've given me. I'm going to choose to, to, to live like my allegiance truly is to your kingdom. Oh, how we struggle with that. I'm there with you. We struggle with that. We struggle living like our allegiance truly is to this kingdom. I struggle with thinking that this is all that matters. I struggle with getting worried. You know, we're all together in this. But it's a daily decision where we say, God, I want you to use me. Because I know that my life is just not about here and now. I know that you want me, when I go to heaven and I receive that eternal weight of glory, you want me to bring a trail of people behind me in my wake because of what I've done for your kingdom and for your glory in the exaltation of your name. Through how I was kind, to somebody how I handed out that bottle of cold water how I fed the poor and the needy how I visited the widows and the orphans how I did all of those things in your name God to glorify you and people come behind you and when you get to heaven you receive the reward of eternal life and the crowns that you receive for the works that you do you lay them down before the throne of God in worship that's a kingdom mindset that's laying up treasures in heaven so that was my objective this morning my objective this morning was to tell you that god loves you he cares about your daily life he wants to provide for you He doesn't want you to be overwhelmed with fear anxiety and worry but i wanted you to look up to look higher to not just believe the lie of the culture in this world the lie of satan that life is about here and now because it's not Because as I said in my first point, we're going to die one day and you will never think in heaven, oh I wish I would have accumulated a little bit much, a little bit more money, oh I wish I would have had a little bit of a bigger house oh I wish I would have been able to do this and go on that vacation, you will have never thought that, you will think, oh I wish I would have impacted more people for the gospel of Jesus Christ and when you weep because of that in heaven God's going to wipe away those tears I was going to wipe away those tears and, and remind you that, that you are here and you made an impact in your life. And you, you, you won't have regrets in heaven. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that live in such a way right now that you could never possibly have regrets in heaven. I want to read this quote. This is by John Piper. It says this. it says do not be anxious is the condition of the heart by which we break free from our addiction to earth treasure and give ourselves with passion to heaven treasure by faith in his promises God frees us from anxiety and in this freedom we no longer crave treasures on earth won't you stand with me now Build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken and I Upon your love, it is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you. trust you we will build our lives on your love and we will trust you our lives will not be shaken because we are because our, our life is built on the foundation of your love and your truth and we rest in that we cease from anxiety and worry and i, I want to pray for those of you it's going to take a couple moments here that are dealing with anxiety and worry if you're here this morning and you are have you been overwhelmed with anxiety and worry and fear You've been struggling. I just want to see your hand. Just be bold. Just be. Just raise your hand. Keep them up. Keep them up. And I want those that are next to you, look around and see somebody next to you that has their hand up. Keep your hands up. Raise them if you want prayer. And I want you to put your hand on them. Look around. Somebody has their hand up. We're going to do some body ministry. We're going to pray for each other. Just put your hand on that person that's next to you. And we're going to pray for them. Amen. Lord, we just pray this morning for all of those that are struggling with anxiety and worry and fear, God, I pray, Lord, that this message was a reminder to all of us that your love is perfect, and that because you are our Father, you have cast out that fear through your perfect love, that we can rest In your love. The foundation of our life is your love, and we don't have to be worried. So I pray that those that are dealing with doubt and worry, anxiety and fear, I pray that this morning that that fear is cast out in the name of Jesus. I pray that they leave this morning encouraged and reminded that their life has value and has meaning, that you have called them for kingdom purposes. God, I pray specifically for those that are worried about their finances. God, I pray that you would remind them that you clothe the flowers of the field and you clothe the birds of the air and you feed them, you take care of them. And how much more are they valuable than the birds and the flowers because of who you are as our Father? Encourage them today. God, we lean on you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys are dismissed. I love you.